welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Uh, okay, well, I've just, I've just come to talk to you about, uh, it's kind of a testimony, I suppose. Uh, like all talks in our destiny, you've got to give them a title. So they're like, Rebecca likes us to give titles to come to, to, to talks. So this talk is called Supernaturally, sorry, Naturally Supernatural. Have you had a talk along those lines before? Uh, well, okay, well, anyway, it's not really a theological talk. I'm just going to talk to you about what some of the things, the wacky things that God has done for me along the way, which simply demonstrate two really fundamental points. One is that we are actually supernatural beings. Uh, whether we like it or not or whether we even want it we are supernatural Uh, um, point number one can't remember point number two (laughs) Uh, I lost point number two while I was saying point number one I'll have a drink of tea while I think of what my second point was No, can't remember it. It'll. There you go. Like I said, this is not a bit deep theological talk anyway. This is just kind of what, what what's happened to me. And, uh, oh yeah, point number two, remember it now. That you absolutely do not, you do not have to get things right just don't there you go that's my talk you're naturally supernatural whether you like it or even want it and you just don't have to get things right and this kind of <laughs> it's funny I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be racist here because you you know I you know we had a talk was it yesterday or last week when I was going to say hey, you German guys you're amazing you you kind of love living on this cerebral level and it's so important for you so this is a national characteristic Re- uh, really important for you guys to get things right and. Uh, So I thought, I, I, don't worry, I don't think it's just a German characteristic. Uh, it's a characteristic of probably 50% of the human race. We're kind of driven to make sure we get it right. And, and we invest a lot of our energy and a lot of our... Um, we invest a lot of our souls in getting things right. And... Um, You know, I think that's a curse. I think getting it right is a curse. 
sorry, <laughs> I probably will get the, the whole iDestiny school now thrown out of the church by saying getting things right is a curse. <laughs> uh, sorry, iDestiny school, if I get you thrown out of various whatever it is that we're in. But anyway... Um, I'll just start. I became a Christian at the age of 18. Honestly, these are all true stories. Everything I tell you is absolutely true. This really truly is what happened to me. And these are truly lessons that God has taught me. Uh, and I know I'm right. <laughs> no, sorry, you don't want to read. I'm sorry, I'm joking. Uh, okay, I became a Christian when I was 18. My first term at university and I was a real atheist I took really great pride in arguing against God I mean I didn't know anything about God but I spent a lot of time arguing against him and I was I was you know I was 18 years old I did extremely well at school they all told me I was a genius. That was one of the biggest mistakes they ever made to tell me I was a genius. Uh, uh, really, it was. Uh, that'll come out in some other talk, maybe. Um, and I went, I, I went to university as a very arrogant, do you know the word arrogant? I was a very arrogant young man, convinced I was right about everything. I knew everything. And I was going to make the world bow down to me, and I was going to do all sorts of things. I was going to become a professor of this, and I was going to, you know. Anyway. But um, I was, as part of that, I, I got involved in different committees, and I was on what's called a freshers committee. Fre a, fresher, a fresher or a freshman at university is somebody who's just started. And we had a committee to look after social events and things and talks and discussion groups and concerts and things for the new guys. And I was on the, I was on, I was on the part of the committee. So we discussed what sort of things to do. Um, but I wasn't actually one of the leadership team. I think there was just a few, a couple of leaders on that team. I wasn't one of the leaders. So um, it was sometime in November fairly soon after starting university, I was asked to help get a hall ready for a rock group. And the, this rock group was called The Sheep. And I had little A5 posters to put up all over the place, different halls of residence. And uh, I remember coming out of medical school uh, one day thinking, wow, great, setting up this evening tonight's the night that this rock group has come in called the Sheep I didn't know anything about them uh, they were on a national tour and they'd been doing a musical called Lonesome Stone that, that's all I knew and that's, that's all it said on the, on the posters uh, so I'm, I'm coming out of the medical school down the steps in Manchester thinking oh great looking forward to tonight and suddenly this massive big van you know like a big furniture removal van stops at the side of the road right next to me 
and this big head sticks itself up, and he's got hair everywhere. I mean, his hair was, it was unbelievable. I've never seen anybody with hair like that. His hair was about a foot long, sticking out a foot. It was like a two-foot diameter ball of fur just sticks his head out of the side of the van and says, Hey, man, do you know where Hume Hall is? Hume Hall is where I was living. And that was where the concert was. So I said, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and I started to tell him, he said, you going there, man? And I said, actually, yeah. He says, hop in, we'll take you, we're going there. So, sorry, I'm sorry for any Americans listening. That's my best American accent. Um, anyway. So we went there, and on the front of the dashboard of the van, there's all these leaflets that I've been giving out. So I said, hey, are you these guys? Are you the, are you the band? And they said, yeah, we're the very same man, you know. And they were really great guys, really nice guys, very, very friendly. I'm, uh, I know why, initially why, a bit why they were friendly, because they wanted me to carry all their speakers and amplifiers and everything in, uh, nearly did my back in. Uh, but anyway, I helped them do it. But they were very, very, very genuinely nice guys and I was I was very very impressed with them there was just kind of something about them which just did caught me and I thought oh these guys are different they're you know there's something about them they've got something and I didn't know what it was I'm sure you hear lots of stories like this uh, now just just step back a bit a few weeks I remember I'd gone to university an atheist and there was this girls hall of residence it was a Catholic girls' hall of residence called St. Gabriel's Hall of Residence. It was run by Catholic nuns. And uh, I have to say, I kind of enjoyed going over there, spending some time with the girls, discussing theology among one thing of them. And, and I was quite proud of myself because I'd kind of stopped a few of them actually going to church. I'd persuaded them that going to church was foolishness if they were just perpetuating this religious thing and there's no way God could exist. and I used, I used all sorts of arguments as an atheist. And I was really quite proud of myself that I'd stopped two or three of them going to church. So, you know, I was, I was a really cocky, arrogant little whatever. And uh, anyway, so me and my friend who were on this committee, who were setting up, we had a couple of girlfriends from across the Hall of Residence, St. Gabriel's, and we'd, I'd talked these two girls into stopping going to church. They'd made a decision to not go to church anymore, Catholic church, which is not very popular when you're in a Catholic girls' Hall of Residence run by nuns. But anyway, um, so anyway, we, we'd got a, a couple of dates, these girls, and we invited them, and uh, so we got the hall ready, took them over, sat down, and I'm there sort of saying, hey, these guys are my friends. And uh, sat on the front row, feeling really important, friends of the band. And suddenly they started singing about Jesus. <laughs> and suddenly I thought, no! I've been framed. I've been, they've cheated me. You know, these really nice guys 
And then I go, no, that Jesus freaks. <laughs> so it was halfway through the first song. That's all they got. And I said to the girl, she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've got to go. I can't listen to this trash. And I tried to stand up. And I was physically unable to stand up. I physically could not do it. It was like I was paralyzed from the waist down. And I said, I was trying to go. I told them I was going to leave. I said, come on, let's go. And I said, I can't move my legs. And I physically couldn't move my legs. And uh, so I said, let's just wait here a little bit. Let's just wait a little bit. Well, I I can't remember when the sensation came back to my legs and the ability to move my legs came back. But after a while, I decided I better just sit here because I I just thought I'm I'm permanently paralyzed or something. Anyway, I can't remember exactly when my ability to move came back. But I sat through to the half-way stage, and I, uh, I, I probably had made a decision I was going to leave at half-time. But anyway, this guy stood up at half-time, and, he's, and he started talking about evolution and like, you know, saying things like, uh, well, you can, be, uh, you can have a monkey as your uncle if you want, but he says, I don't. You know, he was, he was talking about Adam and Eve, and he, he was kind of had a very fundamentalist view on life, and he didn't believe he was descended from monkeys and apes and so I said to them I said I'm going to get this guy I'm going to go and have an, a, a discussion with him in the interval so he stopped talking and then I went to find him uh, in the bar everybody went to the bar and had a drink and I went and found him and started talking to him but we didn't get very far and he said to me very cleverly he said look, he said, look come and talk to me at the end so I went okay so I committed then to staying for the rest of the... I don't remember the rest of the concert. I don't think I was listening. Uh, but I was just determined. And I told my friends, I told my, all my friends before the second half, I said, just watch, I'm going to nail this guy at the end. So I said, if you want to come and have a good show at the end, I'm going to nail this guy about Christianity and prove to him that it's stupid. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought. So at the end, I came out, and there he was, a fellow called, I even remember his name, Jim Palasari. And he, uh, these people were from the Jesus movement of the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, I think he'd been a drug dealer and all sorts of things. And, he knew, and loads of the people in the band had been ex-convicts. Uh, new murderers and stuff like that that were in the Jesus movement and, and they'd all got converted in jail and they all had musical abilities and they put this musical on and did an international tour that's, that's what they were there for uh, so I started talking to him and he'd say something I'd say something and we'd get into a bit of a shouting match and so eventually he said whoa 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 whoa, whoa. Let's just stop just stop he said he said look you take as long as you want to tell me what you think about Christianity and God. And he said, and I won't say a single thing. As long as you promise when you finished, you let me speak and you don't say anything. I said, okay, that sounds reasonable. He says, okay, off you go. 
So I kind of rolled my sleeves up. Remember, all my friends there are watching. And I had my pints of beer. All my friends sitting at the side, on chairs at the side, and they're all sitting there with their pints of beer, watching this competition that I told them to come and watch. And uh, <laughs> so he starts, I start talking, and I used all the biggest words I had in my head. You know, he's, God is the quintessence of good in our minds. Everything that is good, we clump together and we anthropomorphize it into a being or, and, and we claim this is an anthropomorphic being beyond ourselves that we all aspire to. I mean, you only have to take zero and no, uh, an O out of good and you have God. You know, uh, and all, all sorts of stuff. And I used all the biggest words, all the, all the cleverest arguments I knew. Spent about 20 minutes and he just sat there, listening, not saying anything. And after 20 minutes, I ran out of things to say. And he said, is that it? And I said, yeah, I think so. But all this time, I've just been aware, I've never been treated like this. Nobody has ever just said, I'm going to really listen hard to what you're going to say. And there was just, again, there was this something about him. He, he had something. The rest of the band had something, and I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. So he said, I, are you finished? Is that it? I went, yeah. And he said, okay. And he said, he said, it's my turn now. I said, yeah. And then he said something that kind of changed my whole world. He just looked at me and he leant forward and he stared at me in the, in the eyes and he went, man you got it all wrong it's Jesus that's who God is that's all he said he didn't say anything else just at that point and I, I just looked him in the eyes and I had spent 20 minutes trying to prove something remember what we were talking about yesterday yeah you know you need to worry about people who spend a lot of time trying to prove something about themselves because that shows that they're not really quite sure and I realized I re I honestly I, I in that split second I realized I had no idea what I was talking about and I was standing I was sitting next to a man who absolutely had no need whatsoever to prove anything and he just looked at me in the eyes and said, Man, you got it all wrong. It's Jesus. That's who God is. And I kind of felt like the foundations of my world were falling. That's what it felt like. I felt like all the foundations were just falling away. I knew that this man had certainty, deep certainty. And I knew that I had none. Uh, and uh, it, it kind of rocked me really did something inside for the first time in my life I felt I know absolutely nothing I've never ever felt that before ever I always thought I knew things I was like a learning machine 
they told me I was a genius in school. And I thought, come on, I'm going to take the whole world on. And now suddenly, at the age of 18, I suddenly realized I know absolutely nothing. And this guy does know something. I didn't know what he knew at that stage, but I knew he knew something. And I knew I knew nothing. And that changed the whole game completely. So I started shaking. And uh, all, all through this time, I, I, all my friends were, came, come on, nail him, Irvin, nail him. Oh, yeah, oh. you know, there was boxing terminology, left up a gun, you know, they were, they were giving all of that. And uh, so it was kind of pressurized for me. But suddenly, I didn't know what to do or think, and I felt absolutely lost, suddenly lost, instantly lost and uh, I started shaking and uh, he said well would you like to pray because uh, he, he could see something was going on he said would you like to pray so I didn't know what to say at this stage I mean I was I'd lost everything uh, so I, oh, okay so I put my hands together like this like you do in kindergarten or whatever and I started praying the Lord's Prayer I started praying, our father, who? and suddenly he puts his hands on my head like this, really just slap. He had really big hands. He was a big fat guy, and he put, oh, slammed his hand on my head and nearly broke my neck. I went, ah, oh, Jesus, <laughs> like that. That's what he said. Show yourself to this guy, <laughs> and I'm an atheist. <laughs> friends screaming oh he's got the holy ghost you know I, all my friends with their beers you know screaming laughing and suddenly I went deaf so in the space of one evening I was paralyzed from the waist down then suddenly I went completely deaf you know like these horror movies where little Julie walks home and she decides to take the short way through the graveyard. And you know something really bad is going to happen. And then the music disappears and you're figuring... And you think... Oh, it's like, it was kind of like that. Suddenly, total silence. And, and I was certain I'd, I'd gone deaf. But, anyway. but I... And then... And I had that graveyard feeling something really bad is going to happen. And then it did happen. As he's talking to me, some, uh, sorry, I missed a little step out. There were, it sent me to, sorry, before he started praying. No, uh, no, 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 this is, this is the right order, yeah. Um, Suddenly, as his hands are on my head, and I'm completely deaf, suddenly I'm aware of this enormous, horrible, evil thing at the side of me. It felt like an evil, foul thing. Very, very scary. And, and, and looking back at it now, all I remember is feeling this very, very 
what I felt was malevolent. Do you know the word malevolent? Means something that's evil and that is gonna get you. That's how it felt. And it felt like it was a big boot. As tall as a skyscraper, you know. A gigantic boot, 20 story high boot the side of me. And if this boot just went, <coughs> moved his legs over a millionth of an inch, tread on me and I was, was going to be squashed flat that's exactly what it felt like and I had no idea what to make this guy had just asked Jesus to show himself to me and suddenly I'm in the presence of this horrible horrible thing which just and I had no idea what it was but I knew that it was something real and it was something at the side of me and it was big and it felt like at the time my enemy so that was my first encounter with the supernatural world and I broke down kind of shaking <laughs> and he said you know are you okay uh, and my hearing came back and all my friends, as I say, I suddenly could hear all my friends screaming and shouting and laughing at me. And uh, I said, I, I lied. I went, yeah, fine. <laughs> but I wasn't. And he said, look, why not go and chat to three of my friends over there? You know, even now, I, I even remember their names one day. I'm 62 now, and I was 18 then, and I still remember their names. Roy, Naid, and Aram. And he sent me over to these guys, and... I was beginning to feel sick at this point and dizzy. Uh, it was just stress, sort of panic reactions. And I was, I was aware that these guys, there was something about these guys and it was the same something that this first guy had had. And I, I don't remember them talking about anything, but uh, they said to me, look, would you, like, would you like to sort, I think I told them I was feeling really strange, I didn't quite understand what was going on. They said, would you like to get this thing sorted out now and pray about it and see what's going on? So at that point, I thought, I can't take anymore. I've got to find out what's happening. So I said, yes, yes. And I really, really did want to find out what this thing was because I, I knew I... Anyway. So, they... I put my head down and then, really embarrassingly, they all put their hands on top of my head again. All of them. They, so this, I'd never experienced this. They, all of them, they put their hands on my head. And, and my friends, again, you can imagine what my friends were doing at this point. They were just absolutely hilarious. I, I think probably at this point they kind of left, you know. Uh, but they started praying. And whilst they're praying, suddenly... I felt a massive big pair of hands on top of their hands and this was this gym guy and he come over again and he, he put his hands and his was the only hands I could feel I mean we can look back at it now and say well clearly the Holy Spirit was using this guy to reach me uh, I guess but I, I only felt his really heavy hands on my head and then suddenly I went deaf again oh, oh here we go here we go here we go and then suddenly, bang, there's this big thing again. 
this terrifying, really, really terrifying presence. And suddenly he starts praying in Latin, or I thought it was Latin. I think he was praying in tongues now. I'm sure he was praying in tongues. But it was really weird because suddenly I'm aware of him having a conversation with this horrible being at the side of me. This big, evil, horrible being. That's how it felt. And I was aware that they were having a conversation and they were having a conversation about me in this language I didn't understand. And it was, it was insane. It was weird. I didn't believe any of this. I didn't want to believe any of this. And suddenly, it was, they were, this massive thing was so real and so frightening, just as real as you are sitting in front of me. Uh, and halfway through their conversation I suddenly thought okay I can't run away from this so I said okay I believe it I believe it I believe that yes I believe it's God <laughs> I believe in God I believe it's God I said please stop praying uh, so they stopped everybody stopped praying and I suddenly broke I suddenly started crying no idea why I was crying but I'm just saying okay that's enough I can't take anymore stop praying I believe it and I, I was on my knees I knocked my beer over so I was kneeling in beer crying and and they're all shouting oh hallelujah praise the Lord and I, yeah and you know it's kind of it was kind of all really strange <laughs> and uh, but I was just really really frightened and I just wanted to escape that's, that's how I became a Christian I was, I was terrified and I wanted to escape um, and they gave me a little small New Testament and some leaflets and they say oh, hallelujah praise the Lord you're gonna you, you're going to heaven now that's what they said to me and I said I don't care about heaven I said, I just want to go. So don't talk to me anymore. Don't talk to me anymore. And I kind of was really rude and I just ran. And I didn't help to tidy the place up or anything. I just ran and I went back to my room. And I was crying and I, I'd never had anything like this before. And I didn't really know what had happened to me. Uh, and I certainly didn't want it to happen to me. And I went to my bed, and I remember going to my bed and I pulled the covers over my head. I'd, I'd done this often as a child, I used to have nightmares about Dracula and things like that. And I always used to feel if I covered my head up, then Dracula could never get me. You know, nothing evil could ever get me if I pulled the sheets over my head. And uh, I went to sleep that way. And I remember, I woke up in the morning, and I still had the sheets above my head. So I'm, I must have slept all the way through the night. And in the morning, I remember I pulled one sheet down like that and just exposed one eye, and I'm looking around. And I did something really stupid. I said, I said out loud, are you there, God? <laughs> you know, because I'd, I'd kind of come to the conclusion that this thing, this horrible thing was God. But it wasn't what I expected at all. And I said, are you there, God? And you know, this was the first of only two times in my life I've ever heard God speak audibly. And do you know what he said? I said, are you there, God? And I audibly, very loudly, in my room, heard him. Yep. 
Yep. <laughs> I mean, that sounds that's insane. Um, but the thing is, I mean, I've been talking to these Americans, and so it's no surprise to me that God would speak in an American accent to me just right then. Because he kind of knew that was the way in. He knew that they were okay. They were American, and they were okay. They were nice guys. So he spoke to me in an American accent. Yep. And suddenly, everything changed. I knew that God was there, and he was friendly. That's what it meant. And don't ask me how I knew. I just knew. I, pulled, I threw the covers back, and suddenly he was there. I opened the windows, and I, and I saw greens in the grass and blues in the sky. I'd never seen those colors before. Not like that. I, I can't describe what I was looking at. It, it was like I'd never seen those, those intensities of colors before. And it, it felt like, honestly, it just felt like I was alive. That's all I can say. It felt, it felt like I was alive like I'd never been alive before. And I was seeing things. I, and I spent the next week just talking to trees. <laughs> Say, hi, leaf, you're doing great, you know. And the whole of life suddenly became intensely different. Everything had meaning because I suddenly started to know the person who'd made this leaf of grass, who'd made this tree. And everything had incredible meaning to me. It was, it was like wild. Anyway, that's how I became Christian. And there's a whole lot of other stuff around that, of course. But my first encounter, known encounter with God, was so intense uh, and real and totally supernatural. So that, that was my... I had... So my first encounter with God was totally, 100% supernatural. Um... And, okay, so we carry on. And a few weeks later, I remember I started to read my Bible, this little Bible that they gave me, and I got to know the Christian group in, the, uh, in my college, in, in my hall of residence, Hume Hall. And in fact, it was the Christian Union that had asked the Freshers' Committee to... The Christian Union were the ones who had invited this rock band the sheep to come so they were unbeknown to me all the Christian Union guys were all around watching what was going on so they kind of knew who I was they knew all about me they came to visit me the next day and you know you can imagine yeah oh, they felt great about this you know sort of a great conversion and uh, so anyway so they started to come and talk to me and, and it was great actually but I remember a few weeks later having a discussion with one of the guys in the Christian Union and he was talking about this thing called tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I was still a little bit arrogant I, I didn't want anybody to tell me that I needed to do something and, and he was telling me in a way he says hey you, you know this God, God wants to give you this and uh, I don't know why I was I, I was arguing about it and we had a bit of an argument and I was saying I didn't want it I didn't need it but anyway, um, 
So we left. We had a bit of an argument about it. I mean, anyway, I just went back into my room, and I said, I remember sitting down. I said, "Okay, God, do you want me to have this gift of tongue singers?" I said, "Okay." I said, "Right, please, can I have this gift of tongues thing?" And I just started speaking in tongues like that. Shangamarama, shosabara. Ah, this is okay. Spoke in tongues for about twenty minutes. Okay, that's fine. Done that. Yeah, tick that one off. <laughs> so ticked it off, and I don't think I spoke in tongues again for about four years. <laughs> I, I, I've done it. Uh, so fine. Uh, you know, tick the tick, tick the box, and told the guy speaking tongues now. Ah, he was really happy, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's. I don't really exactly remember. I think it's probably a pretty girl. I, I discovered pretty girls <laughs> at university after that, and um, I think my whole life took a, a slight. I, I, you know, God had introduced Himself to me in this way, and I knew He was so real. He was really, really there. But don't ask me how this happened because I don't know how it happened. Uh, I think I just got so distracted by pretty girls and parties that I kind of ignored him again. And I don't think my lifestyle for those four years was particularly very honouring. After I'd had that amazing encounter with God, oh, oh, you know, just to finish that encounter with God. Uh, I mean, now I look back on it. The reason I'm sure I felt my first encounter with God was it felt like I was in the presence of something dreadful, something horrible. And I think that's simply because that was my attitude to God. I mean, I had set myself up as His enemy, so I, I'd set myself as you know His opponent. So that's why I think. It felt he felt so. I was on the wrong side of him. Does that make sense? And I think it was me that was antagonistic, and so that's why I felt that. So anyway, so there you go. All right, so I suddenly decided I wanted to speak in tongues. Boom, smoking tongues. My first encounter with God was. I did not want this encounter with God. Absolutely didn't want it. Didn't ask for it. Didn't want it. And yet, I couldn't escape. He was absolutely real. He was rock solid, uh, even though I couldn't see him. And I'd never had an experience of this before in my life. Uh, so there we go. Four years went past. I was not living in a particularly honouring way, but uh, it got to the point where I kind of I need to get I need to start relating to God again. I just knew that. And so, at the end of my fourth year at university, I decided to they give they give us a job sampling thing. They call it call it an elective period, where you over the summer, a long summer break, I think it was for 13 weeks, we could go do a, go work in a hospital situation or some medical situation. It was up to us. the The medical school they gave us a few a few choices, or we could choose one of our own. So I talked to people in my church and they recommended a missionary hospital in Tanzania called Mvumi and uh, so 
I thought, okay. And I, I, I sent out to various different people asking them to sponsor me and to give me money to send to me. And I got exactly the money I needed for my airfare to Tanzania. So virtually to the pound, it was exact. So at that moment, at that moment, I thought, oh, yeah, this feels good. Well, thank you, God, for that. You know, I, you could say, well, you know, why should God have been interested in me at that point? Because I had kind of ignored him for four years. And this has kind of been the story of my life a little bit. I'd kind of ignored him for four years. And so why should he be interested in me when I said, okay, God, I need an effort. And suddenly, boof people are offering me, I think it was 400 and something pounds, that was a lot of money in 1980, sorry, 1970, whatever it was, 1979, 400 pounds, a lot of money. So anyway, I got the exact money for my airfare, went to Tanzania, and at the end, I, I had a great time, I arrived in the middle of a meningitis epidemic. So, uh, and there were, there were people dying everywhere with meningitis. And uh, I remember when I got off the train, this guy in, a, in shorts, it was really like you see on the, on, the, on the films. You know, he had brown shorts and a hat and a beard. And he said, uh, Is I, Irving Allen? I got off the train. I had really dreadful diarrhea. I thought I was going to die. Anyway, but anyway, I got off the train and he said, Irving Allen? I said, yeah. He went, oh, thank God you've arrived. I thought, oh, this, this is going to be fun. That's, that's the first word he said, thank God you've arrived. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is going to be great. And I spent the next few weeks, I can't remember, I did about 50 lumbar punctures every day. You know lumbar punctures where you, they stick a tube, a very fine needle into the spine, take some of the fluid from around the spine. Uh, many people, many doctors were never able to do that. It's quite skillful. And I was doing 50 a day virtually from day one. <laughs> I was in, it's totally insane. So I became a real expert doing lumbar punctures. Anyway, that's a different story. Um, at the end of that period, I wanted to do, I wanted to take two or three weeks off. So I wanted to hitch a ride around northern Tanzania. Now you just gotta remember, this, this is after four years of me ignoring God doing everything wrong, messing it up. You know, you would think if, if you were God, you'd say, give up on this boy, you know. So, I decided I'm gonna go on a hitching tour, and I was gonna go hitching all the way up around the desert in Tanzania, across the north, and to, and to Kilimanjaro, and I wanted to climb Kilimanjaro. And I wanted to go to a place called Manyara Game Park where the lions sit in the trees. And there's Lake Manyara and there's lots of nice animals. And I, I had a few things I wanted to do. And uh, I started off by getting a lift to a place called Kondoa, which was a couple of hundred miles up this kind of desert road in the middle of the desert in Tanzania to a little village called Kondoa. And I got a lift there. Uh, and the people let me out. And uh, the village was about two miles from the main road. So they, they actually took me into the village and said, do you know where you're going? 
I said, well, I know the name of somebody. Uh, so I asked somebody as best I could with a bit of Swahili and a bit of English and asked them for the name of this person's house and they showed me and it was empty. And apparently this person had that very same day driven down to Mvumi Hospital. So I must have crossed them. So this was the only place I knew and this person walked off and the people I'm supposed to be going, who had been given their name, they weren't there. And this is in the middle of the desert. And they have hyenas out here in, in the scrubland. They have hyenas out here, snakes and all sorts of stuff. And it's not the place you want to be late at night. Uh, you don't want to be out, <laughs> especially if you don't know what you're doing. So, uh, it was just beginning to get dark, and I thought, I'm really stuck here. Uh, I remember sitting down under a tree, and I'm thinking, what now? I don't know what, everybody had disappeared. There was nobody walking around. I think everybody had decided it's gonna get dark now, so everybody had gone inside. And I couldn't see anybody. I just sat down in the, this middle of this square under a tree, and I'm there thinking, I need help. God, I need help, because I don't know what to do. I've got nowhere to stay. And, I'm, and I'm, I've got my head down with my eyes closed, and I'm praying like this, God, I need help. And suddenly, there's a tap on my shoulder. And I looked up, there's this little boy. And uh, I went, hi, he went, yeah, cool. And, uh, and uh, he looked at me, I looked at him, and he, he went, Unanja. And I happen to know that that means, are you hungry? So I said, yeah. <laughs> he suddenly, straight up this tree. I've got no idea how he did, he looked like a monkey straight up the tree, grabbed some fruits from the top of the tree, bit one, threw it down. I, I, I still don't know what the fruit was, but it was kind of amazing. So I ate about three or four. So I, I said, wow, okay, this is okay. I've just prayed, I need help. And suddenly this little boy, that very moment I'm praying like this, boy taps on my shoulders, says, yeah, you're hungry, climbs the tree, throws some fruit down, and I'm eating. He came down the tree, and he just took hold of my hand. You know, as if to say, scissor. So I grabbed hold of his hand and I said, is this an angel? I wasn't sure. <laughs> but anyway, he didn't say anything else. He just walked me to the other side of the village and took me into a house. And this, his father happened to be the pastor of the village. <laughs> so, they looked after me, they gave me food, they gave me bed. Um, so it's kind of, I, I just I thought, this is weird. You know, I'd, I'd asked, I'd, I'd, I'd needed the airfare. God provided the airfare exactly, virtually to the penny. Here I'm in need, I, I'm, I'm just saying to God, I need help. And suddenly this little boy turns up, feeds me, takes me to a house where they they looked after me 
the next day was really strange because the the pastor he tried he was trying to he's trying to speak his, use his English he was trying to practice his English on me so we had a good time I, I picked up lice and fleas and all sorts at that point which wasn't really fun afterwards but um, anyway the morning after I had to go he was doing a funeral and a funeral in Africa that's kind of weird uh, he went to this house and they took me on the back of his little uh, what he called a picky picky which is like a, a Honda 50 you know one of these little mopeds with wheels 50 cc's bike and uh, so uh, he took me to this funeral and uh, there was loads of women sitting on these benches outside this house in black wailing like Aah! you know doing all this and he said uh, I'm going to go and spend 10-15 minutes with the wife he says you need to sit on here and you need to do what these ladies are doing <laughs> so I was like for 15 minutes it's kind of totally weird uh, this is not strange introduction to Africa but uh, anyway after that he took me back outside the village and I needed it and so it, two miles to this desert road again and by this time it was getting to be late morning and this is right on the equator in the middle of summer it was really hot and I'm just sitting there burning and thinking, I need a lift. And into the distance, the road's there. Into the distance, on the other side, the road there. Nothing. And for about half an hour, no cars, nothing, no traffic. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna die. <laughs> so I remember, I thought, okay, I'm learning now. So I could say, okay, okay, God. I need another miracle. I need help again. So the moment I said that, yeah, to my right, in the distance, I see a little cloud of smoke just above the road. And about 10 minutes later, I can see that this is a little black dot, a little car, throwing dust and sand up. And about five minutes after that suddenly this this car's coming this black car so I'm, I'm standing in the middle of the road doing this I didn't I didn't do any none of this thumbs out thing I you know I'm standing in the middle of the road he wasn't going to get past me without running me down <laughs> so this guy stops and says what are you doing here I said oh it's a long story I told him I, I was trying to visit somebody in the village but what couldn't he says, uh, so I asked him what he was. He apparently was a, some sort of, he was a Zambian embassy official or something. And he was on a two-week holiday. So he says, uh, I said, where are you going? He says, oh, I'm going all the way around to, uh, uh, oh, I forgot the name of the, well, anyway, he was going around to Kilimanjaro, which is about 600 miles away. So, and, and this wasn't just a black car. This was an embassy limousine. It was, uh, it was about 100 feet long. I mean, it wasn't quite that long, but you know, it was long. And uh, so he said, you want to come in? He says, I can take you. 
So I was like, whoa! Thank you. So he, it was him and his wife and his daughter. And, uh, yeah, now he was, a, he was a, he, yeah, he was German. He was in the German embassy in Zambia. And he just decided to come up this road. Don't ask me what all that was about. But anyway, all I know is I said, God, I need help. And suddenly, there's a cloud of smoke. And I'm looking at help. And this is an air-conditioned car, so it's nice and cool. <gasps> it's wonderful. So we drive about two hours. And he went, oh. he says, I'm forgetting. He says, I think it's probably time for lunch. Are you hungry? So I went, yeah, I could eat something. So he says, I'm sorry, I should have offered you something to drink before. He said, let's stop now. And so we just come to this palm area with a few trees. Stopped under the shade of a tree. Went to the back of the boot. The boot come, opens up. And suddenly there's this refrigerated boot. And he said, I'm not, this is, this is the truth. He says, what sort of food do you like? He says, I don't have much, but I've got some caviar. <laughs> I said, caviar would be okay. This was proper beluga caviar. I'm telling you, it probably, I don't know how much it would cost. 50 pounds for just one little bit on a cracker. And he had, he had, he had, he had lots of this stuff. That they had in the Zambian embassy, and he put it into the boot of his car. Bel- beluga caviar. This is just like probably the most expensive food in the world. <laughs> and I'm in this air-conditioned limousine. I ask God for help, and He sends me an air-conditioned limousine with a refrigerated boot with boot with caviar. I ate one or two other things, and He said, "What do you like to drink?" He said, uh, "Beer." He says, "We're going to have champagne." I said, champagne would be fine. <laughs> so I'm in Tanzania in this desert, and God sends me an air-conditioned limousine with caviar and champagne. <laughs> so like, this feels okay. <laughs> I'll take that as a thank, as an answer to prayer. Thank you, God. So I think I'm liking this. You know, sort of. So suddenly, I'm, I'm having miracles happening. Amazing miracles. Well, another 100 miles or so after that, and there was a turn-off. There was a junction. And if I wanted to go to Lake Manyara, this game park with the animals, the lions in the trees and so on, I had to, I had to go up this road. But he was, he was continuing along the main, the main road around the top, to Kilimanjaro and this this lift in this car it was too good to turn down so I didn't know what to do so he kept asking me he says uh, I was telling him my plans and he says do you want to what do you want to do do you want me to stop you here and I said I can't decide I can't decide I said this is too good I said uh, I'll just ask God what to do so we got to about uh, kilometer from the junction 
He says, have you decided now? Because I've got to decide whether to stop. And I said, I still can't decide. And suddenly, bang, we're having this conversation. I said, I can't decide. Suddenly, bang, and one of his tires explodes. And I said, oh, that's inconvenient. And he didn't have, this is an embassy car didn't have a spare wheel, no spare tire. So we couldn't do anything. So by this moment, we're about 500 meters from the junction and you could see the junction and you could see the garage at the junction. So he says, okay, there's no problem. So he walks up to the garage and has a discussion and they say to him, well, yeah, we can get your new tire, but we don't have one here. We're going to have to send a van all the way to Kilimanjaro and all the way back. That's another two, three hundred miles and back. It's going to be the next day before the van gets back. So I went, okay, that's my answer to that question. <laughs> so that was amazing. So I thought, okay, well, thank you, God. I asked you to, I was asking him to show me what to do. And I couldn't decide and suddenly, boom, the tire explodes and we stopped right on the junction. It's unbelievable. Uh, so I said, okay, well, thank you, God. I'll, I'll accept that answer. Going to Lake Manyara. And uh, so I said thank you to the embassy official. And uh, they gave me some food to put in my backpack. And there was a lorry waiting to go up the hill to Lake Manyara and I'd been given the name of uh, a nurse in the hospital up near there that I could stay with after I'd been to the game park so I thought oh, this is just amazing God's just organizing everything I thought this is great so I got in this I got in this lorry I should have looked at the lorry because uh, only after I got off the lorry I looked and this lorry had no suspension it was just a metal bar and the wheels and there was kind of no suspension and the road was like this and the water coming down the path the road it was just a dirt track the water coming down the dirt track it was like waves on a, on a beach so after about four or five miles the, this, this, this lorry is going I began to get such incredible pain my spine. I couldn't bear it any longer. And uh, everybody else was sitting on bales of wool or something. Everybody else had something soft to sit on. And now I understood why. I'm just standing there. <laughs> and on it, I got such incredible pain. It was one of the worst pains I've ever felt. And I remember, I, and I shouted out to God. I said, God, I can't handle it anymore. Please stop the truck. Bang engine of the truck just stopped the, I, I, honestly I'm really telling you the truth, this really happened I said I'm, I'm getting into that I'm, get, I'm beginning to understand that this was kind of a special thing that God was doing for me, so I, I said please stop the truck, bang, the engine stops thought, that's amazing so everybody everybody had a wheel for the back of the truck as you do and um the guys get out, they lift the bonnet up, they 
couldn't understand why the truck had stopped. I can't see anything wrong. I kept trying to... Nothing. And uh, so I thought, well, I know why it stopped now. So I thought, okay, I understand what's happening. So I said, God, please will you sell me another lift? Well, 30 seconds later, this big green Peugeot estate car comes up. And I flagged him down. And I said, where are you going? He says, oh, I'm going round to the... And he said, this hospital that I was going to. He was going just past it. And I'd been given the name of these Lutheran nuns uh, to go and stay with at the hospital. And they were going right past the hospital. So he says, well, that's amazing. He said, climb in. And the car was full, but they still made space for me. So it was a bit crowded. But... And just as I was getting into the car... I looked around to see the people in the lorry and suddenly boom, the lorry starts and they're scratching their heads they say no idea what was wrong with it but the lorry stopped when I asked God to stop it and the moment I got into the car the next car the lorry started and they had no idea why the lorry stopped or started they had no idea Anyway, and there were other miracles that happened along that journey. But it was miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And why am I telling you this? I'm telling you it not because I'm proud of the fact that these miracles happened. I'm telling you it because they came at a time when I was doing nothing wasn't doing anything my life was not really it didn't look like my life was honoring God at all and yet he did these amazing things for me so you know and the miracles started happening when I wasn't really asking for them I learned I eventually picked up got the message hey this is probably a good thing to ask for now and expect a miracle and it was just incredible. So non-stop miracles. Okay, so the point of all that is to tell you, is just to show you that supernatural things happened to me when I didn't want them, when I didn't expect them, when I was living a life which you, you, couldn't, you couldn't say I was getting everything right because it, it looked like I was getting everything wrong. And yet God still did all this. Um, Okay, fast forward. Uh, I became a doctor. I joined a dance and drama group. And we, this dance and drama group became the center of what is now our church, Kingsway. It's called the Glebelands Road Independent Methodist Church. And everybody called it Grim. Glebelands Road, Independent Methodist, G-R-I-M. Do you know the word Grim? Grim means miserable. So, and it, it was a little bit like that. It was old ladies with bonnets singing hymn sandwiches. Do you know what a hymn sandwich is? Hymn, talk, hymn, prayer, hymn, 
sermon, hymn, prayer, hymn, home. <laughs> the hymn sandwich. Uh, and it was very much an old chapel hymn sandwich place. Very nice people in it, but we... Anyway, things happened and uh, all these young people who joined the church didn't really suit their style. So eventually they kind of all left. We didn't want that to happen, but it did. But anyway, the point is, this dance and drama group became the Kingsbury Church. And we, we got quite well known, because that was in the early 1980s when... <gasps> speaking in tongues... That was... Don't do that. Don't raise hands. Don't dance. Uh, and so the early 1980s was a time when there was a lot of freedom and people introducing dance and drama and free worship into the church. And so we were part of that. And one of the things uh, that we uh, were asked to do was some we, to lead the worship and do some dancing during worship at various things. And one of the things that happened was that there was an evangelist called Colin Urquhart. Have you heard his name? Okay, well... 10, 20 years ago, he was really quite famous, an evangelist, he, and they started up a church ministry, a famous church ministry, worldwide church ministry, uh, Kingdom Faith Ministries it was called. And Colin Urquhart came to the Free Trade Hall, Manchester's biggest music hall, 3,000 people to lead a, an event. He was doing a healing crusade uh, because he, he, he was an evangelist and he was a healer. And we were doing the dancing, so we'd done some dancing. And we sat down, and he started to talk. Now, I just need to explain to you that from, from the age of puberty, from maybe 11 years old, until that point, I was then maybe 23, 24. So for over 10 years, every day I had had really very serious back pain. And I couldn't stand for very long periods. If I stood for half an hour, I had to sit down. And I discovered that the reason was I had a, a, a problem with the development in my spine. Now, have you heard of spina bifida? It's a, it's, a, it's a development problem in the spine where the spine doesn't form properly. And for me, that had caused me to have back pain every day of my life for 12 years until I was 24. And uh, anyway, we'd been doing the dancing. I, d I did all the singing. Uh, and usually after half an hour of singing, I needed to sit down. So I sat down, and then he starts talking. And at the beginning of his talk, he said, uh, there are nine people in here who have got back pain. And he says, I want you nine people to stand up, and God's going to heal you. Eight people stood up, and they're sitting on the stage behind him, looking at 3,000 people. And I think, I'm not standing up. <laughs> no. I mean, I was, at that point, I was still, I was too embarrassed to stand up on the stage, say, I need to be healed. So... I just kind of like folded my arms in the spirit. <laughs> I said, 
nope, I'm not having this. <laughs> and it got very embarrassing because after about five minutes, he said nothing. And he's just waiting. And then he says, the reason I'm not doing anything is because I'm not going to move on in this meeting until the ninth person stands up. He says, we can stay here to the end of the meeting, but I'm not going to do anything. God has told me it's nine people. And so I'm not going to do anything until we move on. Another five minutes. He says, I'm still not doing anything. <laughs> Thinking, oh no! <laughs> it's because of me. I should be standing up. I said, I'm not going to. I just, I, just, I just made my mind up. I'm not going to. That's it. I'll have to sit here for the whole meeting, doing nothing. And then suddenly, slowly, a little woman stands up in the back. <gasps> I oh, saved. I was saved by this old woman. <laughs> and uh, he says, all right, okay, he says now. And then he prayed for them and says, right, now we can move on now. And went, finished the rest of the meeting. And oh, thank you, God, for that, getting me off the hook. And got home, went to bed, and I realized as I'm lying in bed, because bedtime was also another time when I experienced the back pain. I was always turning over, turning over all the time, just to, you know, uh, you know get the back right. And I suddenly, I realized, I don't have any pain. And I realized I've not had any pain since the meeting. <laughs> and you know, until last year, I had no pain for 40 years. Not one day of pain, not one day of back pain. And I had had quite severe back pain most of the nights and every single day from the ages of 12 to 24. And at that meeting, my back pain stopped. Now, why am I telling you that? Because that was a miracle that happened when I was saying no to God. I don't want this. I was saying, I was, I was just in a state of saying no. I was too embarrassed to say yes. And so I, I was just saying no. And the reason I'm telling you all of these stories, every single one of these stories was in a situation where I didn't want it, I was refusing it, I was saying no, or, or my life was in a position where I just hadn't been interested in God before this Tanzania thing. All of these things, all of these things I'm telling you came after I was getting it all wrong. And it kept going. Here's another one. I don't know if you know that I've got a really serious ankle injury. Do you know that? I've told you. Have you ever seen it? Have you seen it? I'll show you it to you. Yeah, that's my left ankle. I've got fairly, I've got fairly thin bones. But there's, there's my right ankle. That's a piece of my arm. It's a huge piece of my arm. 
because when I got tipped off the back of the motorbike 14 years ago, my foot kind of came off sideways, virtually. 14 years. Uh, no, 13, 2004. 4th of April, 2004. 444, four, four, yes. Up to that point, I'd, I strangely, this, and this is true as well, I thought four, more was my, four was my lucky number. <laughs> and on the 4th of the 4th, 2004, <laughs> I got my life changed in that my foot got virtually ripped off and they had to, they, I, it, I had lots of operations to reconstruct it and use parts of my arm to build it back up, but it really damaged the joint. And I had to walk with crutches and the plastic surgeon said, uh, it's never gonna get better. And my GP said that in 10 years' time, you'll have to have your ankle joint removed. And my plastic surgeon was trying to persuade me to have my foot amputated. And I thought, well, it's a bit drastic, that, isn't it? It's a bit dramatic to have my foot chopped off and a plastic and carbon fibre one put on and thought maybe I won't do that I said I'll just see what I can do so so I stopped seeing the plastic surgeon but my life had suddenly changed because I couldn't walk anywhere without these crutches um, the joint was so damaged that if I walked more than 400 yards I was in so much really serious pain I couldn't continue so everywhere I had to walk with the crutches and that happened for about four years four or five years and during that time, I had kind of been learning my lessons. God's been teaching me, you know, to, to not turn down the good things he offers. So I'd been learning about healing and so on. And at that point, I was saying to God, okay, I'll ask for prayer every single opportunity. And maybe I got prayed for 20, 30 times a week. I mean, I, I just felt I needed, I just felt it was the right thing to do. Every time anybody, everybody, every, every Christian if I'd never met him before, would you like to pray for my ankle? Stick my ankle, I'd stick my ankle up in their face or on their knee or whatever. I'd say, uh, you mind praying for my ankle? I got pray, everybody, I got everybody to pray for it. Every time I could. And uh, they, they kind of got shocked when they saw how swollen and the ankle was, you know, <laughs> don't want to touch it really. But, you know, anyway, they kind of prayed for it. But round about four or five years after the accident, I'd kind of started to get weary, fed up, because there was no change in it. And it still wasn't healed. So I'd, I'd, I'd just about got to the point where I'd said, okay, I'm not gonna ask for healing anymore. And at that point, we were invited to go up to a conference in Newcastle, which is in the north of England, which was led by a guy called Ken Gott uh, in his church, and he'd been to Toronto. Uh, and so this was a couple of years after, two or three years after the Toronto Blessing and all of that, and uh, I can't remember exactly how many years. And he'd invited this Argentinian 
pastor called Claudio Friedzon. You heard of his name? This this Argentinian pastor, Claudio Friedzon, he'd been right at the center of the of the charismatic revival he, and uh, miracles and healing revival going on in Argentina since 1990. So this was in the 2000s. So this guy had been in the middle of non-stop revival in Argentina. And Argentina, I mean, the Christianity rate, the conversion rate was huge. We're talking about 80, 90% of the country Christian. So they've been having non-stop revival. I thought, oh, this guy must know what he's talking about. So he was coming to talk about praying for revival in communities. So I was getting fed up of this time of praying for healing and I'd given up praying for healing healing and I didn't actually want anybody to pray for, for healing anymore I'd stopped at that point so I'd been doing that for about four or five years um, anyway we went up to this conference and to be absolutely honest I'm sorry Claudio if you're listening he was a really boring speaker and also he wasn't really talking about revival he was just talking about healing all the time he wasn't talking about renewal in communities he was just holding a good old-fashioned healing crusade. You know, really old-style healing crusade. Preach in a very, very boring way for about an hour. <gasps> Dro- dropping everybody off to sleep. And they said, right, God's going to heal people now. And then he'd start praying for people. Well, on the second night, I was there really angry. I was sitting in the front row, really angry. And I'd been discussing it with Sue, my wife. I think we've been led here on false pretenses, you know. We've been fooled into coming up here thinking this guy's going to talk about renewal in, in communities. And all he's doing is doing old-style old, old healing meetings. And I, I was just really annoyed, really angry. Anyway, at the end of this second night, the guy says, God's told me, he, he, he kept having words of knowledge, and halfway through his list, he said, uh, oh, there's somebody here who's had an ankle injury, a, an, a road accident injury. Who's that? Well, suddenly, some hands behind me, this was Ken Wilkes. Do you know Ken? Ken Wilkes is a guy with a beard, older guy with a beard. Anyway, bless him, I've forgiven him since. He puts his hands in my back and pushes me out of my chair. So I'm, I'm, I'm running forward and trying to stop, stop falling over like this. <laughs> Can't believe he did it. He went, it's him. That's what he shouted. It's him. He's the one. And he pushes me out of my chair. And <laughs> well, thank you, Ken. Thank you for letting me hide. Because all I wanted to do was hide. I was just an angry with this guy talking. And then suddenly Ken pushes me out of my chair. And I didn't want anybody to pray for me now. And Ken pushes me out of my chair. He says, it's him. So... At the end, he says, right, all of those people who've said it was you, come out and form a line. So Ken does it again, pushes me out of my chair and says, go on. And I, I can't say no then, I can't, oh, okay. So I kind of walked into the line and I think I was about sixth person down the line. And it was one of those meetings where he just touched people on the head and they fell over. And it was, it was like it was like going ten pin bowling. You know, pew, pew, 
people falling down. I thought, ah, this is great. I can escape this really easy. I, don't, I just fall down. <laughs> so he came up to me, touched me on my head. Poof, I fell over. But I, I, I was just faking it. It wasn't, you know, like I wasn't like overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit or anything. I just wanted to get it out, get it finished, and go back to my seat. <laughs> so, push. But he stopped. He was just he he took somebody on the head, they'd fall over, and then he'd move to the next person, touch them on the head, they'd fall over, then he moved to the next person. And when he got to me, touched me on my head. I fell over, I think, ah, that's great. He's going to go now. But he didn't. He stopped. He said, and he said to the people, pick him back up. I went, what? No. So these guys picked me up. And he, uh, he said, what's the problem? I said, it's the ankle. Ah, oh, she touched me on my head again. I thought, I'm going to have to fall over again. So I fell over again. I was just faking it all. <laughs> Uh, so I fell over again. He said, pick him up again. He did this about five times. Fall over, pick him up. Fall over, pick him up. Fall over, pick him up. Oh. This is silly. This is really silly. This is, he's, just, he's just touching me on the head and I'm, and I'm just pretending. I'm just faking it. <laughs> it's insane. I just wanted him to go. <laughs> and I... Uh, so, after about five or six times when I fell over, then he moved on down the line. I thought, oh, 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 thank you, God, for that. He went to about another ten people, and then he says, uh, how's that doctor guy doing? Because somebody had told him I was a doctor. He says, how's the doctor doing? And I, I can't remember what we said. Okay, thanks, or something like that. He says, no, he says, uh, he says, the Holy Spirit's telling me I've got to focus on him. Ah! No! He says, he says, the Holy Spirit's telling me I'm going to have to focus on him. He says, uh, and so there's a load of people, and they're filming this, by the way, for the internet. So this is all on film. And he, he said, can the crowds move out of the way? I want this, get, I want this to be caught on the camera properly. So I'm trying to hide. I want him to go away. I'm faking it just so he will go away. And suddenly now, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on this guy now and spend my time on this guy. And I want everybody to clear out of the way of the cameras so the cameras can see properly. So suddenly I'm feeling, oh God. Oh God. I can't believe what's happening. You know, I've spent four or five years trying to get people to pray for this non-stop. And now I've suddenly got fed up and I do not want anybody to pray for it. And I was really annoyed with him anyway because he was a boring preacher. And I felt he'd misled us. And I was just angry and annoyed. I wanted to escape. I was angry with Ken. I was really angry with Ken at that point for pushing me. And, and I was faking it. And he wouldn't let me go. So he said, turn around, because I was facing the stage and the cameras were at the back. He said, turn around and face the camera. Oh, God. Oh, God, help me. 
And uh, he says, right, we're just going to stay here now all evening until this is healed. But that's the last thing I ever wanted to hear. Because this ain't going to get healed. And I'm just faking it. I was just faking the falling down. And so he said, right. He says, pray again. I thought, there's no point falling over this time because that, I knew that wasn't going to work. So, he prayed, didn't fall over this time, and he prayed and prayed and prayed, and after about 10 minutes, he says, right, is it, is, have you been prayed for for 10 minutes? It feels like forever. Uh, he said, right, is it getting better? I went, uh, I, I told the truth, and I said, no, it doesn't feel like it's getting better. I thought, come on. Just accept defeat and move on. <laughs> and he said, no, so it's going to keep going. Anyway, he prayed and prayed and prayed. And after another few minutes, he says, right, is it any better? Any better at all? So I thought, oh, okay, a little lie, just a little lie. So I said, well, uh, actually, it might be a little bit better. So he said, uh, what percentage better is it? So I thought, oh, gosh. He's asking me to give a percentage now, and I'm still lying. So I said, well, I thought, I can't do a really big lie, because I'm on, I mean, I'm on, I'm on film. <laughs> They're videoing this. So I, and I, I'm a church leader. And here I am, a church leader. I'm thinking, here I am, a church leader, and I'm just lying on screen. I said, oh, I'm finished. My, my Christian life is finished. I'm just lying on the internet. And uh, so I said, 5%. I went, oh, Jesus, hallelujah for the 5%. We're going to keep praying now for the rest of the 95%. <laughs> oh, God, help, help. <laughs> so anyway, praise another five minutes. Is it a bit better now? Anymore? I said, well, a bit more. He said, what is it now? I said, maybe 10% now. <laughs> so I'm still lying. I lied my way to 15%. Just lying all the time. Lying, faking. 15%. And at 15%, I'm there thinking, oh, God, help. And I suddenly realized, hmm, maybe it is a bit better. Actually, maybe it is a bit better. So I said, uh, I said, actually, it is about 15% better. And I suddenly, I suddenly realized, actually, it is maybe 15% better. I'd lied, but then suddenly realized, hey, it is 15% better. And bless him, he, he, he could have said, well, well, weren't you telling the truth before? <laughs> but, you know, he was kind, I suppose. Maybe he didn't notice that. But, so, and, the, and at that moment, that something changed in my heart, and I suddenly thought, it is improving. So maybe we're going to get somewhere. Maybe this is the time that God's going to touch you. So we prayed, a couple of minutes later, it's 40%, 50%, 90% better, 95% better. 
And then he says to Sue, because Sue at this point had come up and said, that's my husband, that's my husband. She was getting wildly excited because she'd been seeing me watch walking with crutches for four years. She'd seen my life nearly coming to an end, really. I, you know, I'd been getting depressed. I thought, I'm never going to climb a mountain again. I can never run again. I can't kick a football. My life has come to an end. That's what I thought. That's what it felt like. So for her, she was crying. She was laughing. She was thinking, Irvin's getting healed. She didn't really know I was faking it for the first 15%. <laughs> so, and then he says to her, what couldn't he do? So I, I was bending down and trying to, and it, it's still hurting a little bit when, when I was bending down and squatting and stuff like that. She said, what can't he do? And she said, uh, oh, he could never, he can't run. And I thought, oh no. Because what happens when I tried to run, something happened to my leg. The pain would hit it. And then suddenly I'd fall over. Every time I tried to run, I fell. I, I could not run. I, I fell over. Because it's called pain inhibition. When, when I started to run, the pain hit my brain. And brain told my leg to stop working. And I fell. So it happened every time. So he said... Uh, Come on, let's get this guy up. We, we were down on the floor. He said, let's get this guy up on the stage now and let's see you run. And so I'm thinking, I can't believe it. Even though, even though I, was, I, was beginning to, I was beginning to believe, maybe God is actually healing me now. I still didn't want to do the running because I couldn't believe that I could do that. Anyway, I started on the stage and it was a bit stiff to begin with. And then, and then suddenly, really fast on the stage and not falling over the stage is about three feet high and suddenly I'm, for the first time in four or five years I did a cartwheel I could never do cartwheels because when you do a cartwheel you know a cartwheel yeah, you land on one leg and I couldn't do that so if I tried to do a cartwheel landed on that leg <laughs> fall I did a couple of cartwheels on the stage and I'm I'm going, I'm going wild now. Suddenly I'm thinking, oh, it looks like God's healing me. God's healed me. So, and then I did something stupid. I just ran to the edge of the stage, jumped up in the air, and so on. The, and the stage, no. So the stage was three foot off the floor, and I jumped up a couple of feet. So I'm jumping, I'm landing from about, from about five feet onto my ankles. No pain. And I went running around the audience. Anyway, the, that... So I think I was the show then. I mean, everybody taking pictures of me, everybody screaming, and ah, and they saw me turn up with these crutches, throw the crutches away. It was kind of very dramatic, <laughs> very dramatic. Why am I telling you this? Is it time now? Yeah, okay. Okay. Why am I telling you this? It's because it happened when I did not want it. That every... Thing I've told you has happened at a time when I did not want it. Either I was angry or I was living in a way which I didn't deserve it. And yet, every single time, God chose to show me He loved me. Every single time when I got it wrong. And He and He's chose to say, I don't care. You get it wrong. I don't care.
care. What I do care about is that I love you. And for me, remember, I'd gone to university wanting to be right about everything. I was the genius. I was the bright guy. I was the guy who knew everything. And I think God did this for me because he knew I needed to hear this message. You want to get everything right. You want to be right all the time. And his message to me was, I'm going to, show, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to teach you that I'm going to show my most dramatic love for you at the times when you completely get it wrong. You are, you are a natural, you are a supernatural person. You are my child. You are loved completely, totally by me when you get everything wrong. I'm not saying that getting things right is wrong. Please listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting things right, but getting things right does not make God love you anymore. Getting things right, let me tell you, getting things right doesn't even make God pleased. God, God takes no pleasure when you get things right. What he gets pleasure in is knowing that you're his child and that you know that you're his child. I eventually learned that lesson. I eventually learned that even when I get things completely wrong, that's the time when he most wants to show me that he's my father. He loves me. We love our kids when we get things right, when they get things right, and when we get things wrong, don't we? We love them just the same. Nice when they get things right, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't change his love for us. So, that's not a message about getting things wrong. This is a message about how extraordinary his love for us is and how extraordinary we are, whether we want it or not. And that's who you are. Totally extraordinary. Totally amazing. Totally loved. Totally God's children. Even when you get things completely wrong. And a healthy child is going to grow up wanting to get things right, but they're not going to... They're not... It's not going to be the end of their world if they get things wrong. A healthy child knows that, hey, even if I get it wrong, my daddy is going to still totally love me. So therefore, I've got the freedom to try different things. And it's okay if I make a mess. It's okay to make a mess. And it's okay to get things wrong. God, your father is still going to love you just as much. Okay. Thank you. End of story. Well, it's not the end of the story. I'm about halfway through, but <laughs> I've run out of time. Bless you guys. I bless you with the freedom to get things completely wrong. That's real freedom.
Thank you for listening to the Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.